Arctic means like the like I guess I'm kind of I'm I'm quizzing you on some like etymology. <laughs> I was here. like, uh, I mean it's if I can guess it's it's real cold. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got for you. Yep. No, I would have never guessed this either. So Arctic means bear. So Antarctic, what? no bear. No bear. It comes from the Greek word. Arcticos, which means near the bear. What? Can you imagine needing an adjective to describe being near a bear? Um, <laughs> I'd call that scared. Yeah. Uh, instead <laughs> of, what did you say it was? Arcticos? Yeah. Be like, Arcticos. Be like, Arcticos. Get away from me, grizzly bear. I have a big bear issue for anyone listening. I will oh, bring up too. my paralyzing fear of bears. Oh, my God. Frequently. Yeah. Big Big fear factor. Bears are terrifying. Yeah. Like, my word for being near a bear is fuck. <laughs> That's what I call. Mine is hell no. With <laughs> uh-uh. an action of running. I guess it just depends. I get, Remember, everyone, black bears, you make yourself big. Grizzly bears. You die. <laughs> just back away slowly. It kind of depends. Don't take my advice on this. I've never even seen a grizzly bear. But there is a camp in Montana, if you look in the internet, that costs like $900. But you can go learn how to defend yourself against grizzly bears. And I was very convinced I needed to go to this camp because (laughs) I truly am very afraid of bears. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Josh, what did you just ask? Did Leo DiCaprio go there to learn? To learn? In The Revenant? Uh, Probably not, because I think he did it wrong after watching five minutes of that movie. He finally got his Grammy, so what does he He care? He got his Grammy. (laughs) So there you have it, folks. Arctic means bear. Antarctic means no bear. And for some reason, the Greeks needed to have a word that meant close to the bear. Interesting. We'll have to unpack that later about geography anyway indeed but in any case we are talking today about something more exciting than the reality that is bears (laughs) we're going to be talking about some non-realities or perhaps myths so today Mm. caitlin and i each went our separate ways and we are discussing the top five myths in our various spheres so mine will be training and climbing related and hers will be nutrition related obviously um we're talking about the top five myths that we wish Athletes understood, and we kind of just wish they would die because they are not good. We wish the myths would die. We wish the myths would go away. Yes, not our athletes. We love them very much. Out of con, I'm being taken out of context. Without so, without further ado, let's talk about the top five myths that we would be honored and delighted to bust today. Caitlin, do you want to kick us off with your first one? Yeah, actually, because I think. I would really like to hear your thoughts on this one, too. Yeah. So myth number one, Ooh. the best time of day to work out is between 2 and 6 p.m. Yeah, but there are time zones. It's 5 <laughs> o'clock somewhere. It's 5, Always. O'clock, 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Always. This time is right during happy hour. How could anyone Absurd. ever get a deal on chicken wings? <laughs> Everybody's at the gym. Everybody's at the gym. <laughs> Wait, so why is this... Okay, explain explain where this comes from and where what's happening with this. 
So I think the myth is that there's an optimal time of day when your energy levels are pretty solid and you've eaten enough. And essentially it's this myth that I've heard for a long time, even in like the fitness world where it's best to work out in this time frame because it's far enough away from lunch, but it's, you know, far enough away also from when you're going to bed and you know that super fun wives tale that you can't eat before bed which Ooh. side note not true gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> but honestly the truth is the best time to work out is when you can consistently and ideally it's helpful not to work out in the two hours before bed and the reason being here is that working out actually causes your body to wake up your body you're literally telling yourself like hey we're trying to be active and perform put stress on our body and your brain isn't necessarily going to be primed for sleep after such an action so even though you can you can do this if you would like um, it is also very important to eat afterwards so if you go to the gym at 8 p.m., you come home after 9.30 and you're like, oh, I got to go to bed, but I'm not allowed to eat before bed. That's actually false. You should definitely have a snack after your workouts. Maybe it's half of your dinner, uh, but in any case, definitely need to help support recovery. So that's an important one. But um, thoughts on this, Lauren? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Okay, first of all, whoever like is propagating this, like, have you considered that people have different work schedules? And like some people work third shift. So like, talk. yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, that's cool for some people if that's how your work schedule is. But for a lot of people, that's just not necessarily functional and for many athletes like the time that you're gonna get to train or exercise or do whatever is gonna be after work so Caitlin I guess like because for a lot of people it's like yeah cool there's no way I'm not gonna be training right before bed so like to your point things that you want to keep in mind you want to be able to like eat something even if it isn't necessarily like a full dinner mm -hmm. you want to do that um, even if you get home late and then what would you say about something else I've heard too is that like you shouldn't take a hot shower because it like arouses your whatever it your arouses body. you yeah uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. but like before before bed um because that like makes sleeping not happen but I find that after I train I'm like pretty tired and I can get to sleep pretty well but what would you kind of say as tips like if that is a situation where you are going to need to be training like right before bed yeah so that's a good question ultimately I think it, that is why it's so important to have a nightly bedtime routine mm. just so you can start to wind your brain down and start to prepare it for sleep yeah prepare the mind and the body for sleep so say you get home at 10 p.m maybe you have a small meal or a Truly, it could be a big meal. Everybody's different. Yep. But um, say you have something to help with recovery when you get home and maybe then you start your bedtime routine and this this could be a shower. This could be maybe you stretch. Maybe you read a book. Uh, I've I've had a lot of clients who do a variety of things before bed, but essentially something that primes the body for sleep, gets you ready, and then make sure when you do go to sleep, you know, you're in a comfortable place, you're, it's quiet, it's dark, and then also free from distraction. And the other thing is too, if you really are struggling to fall asleep, you know, insomnia, if you will, it's better actually to get 
up and go do something else than to train your brain like, hey, this is where we stay up and scroll for five hours. The doom scroll. The doom Don't scroll. Don't do it. <laughs> if you can, seriously, like I, I know I go in and out of being able to be like my phone is going way far away from me and I read my book and I don't do any of that and I can have my alarm set on my phone but it's across the room like just do that so that you don't immediately wake up and grab your phone it's definitely probably a work in progress for everyone but you're gonna sleep better if you aren't able to like grab that thing mm-hmm. so well yep. said well yep I would say that myth is yeah. effectively smashed that's just kind of stupid <laughs> busted busted (laughs) busted hard train when you can good god if the time you can train is not between 2 and 6 p.m but you make it happen at another time of the day it's fine yep busted busted gone okay i'll start out with my number one all right let's hear it all right so myth number one of mine is that training sucks all the fun out of climbing (laughs) and i feel like i Usually, like anytime I talk about training ever on social media, someone's like, who cares, man? Just like don't. And climbing's <laughs> supposed to be fun. And I'm like, tell that to the Olympians. <laughs> but like, yeah, no. yeah, but I also just don't. I just think there's a couple of different angles that you can really look at this from. And I think people have I'll get into sort of some of the misconceptions around like what training is later, but I don't think training has to suck the fun out of climbing. Like, first of all, Caitlin, do you like in a way have fun in your training sessions in general? Like, do you enjoy them? Yeah, there are some sessions I like more than others. Of course, naturally. But what I would say is fun is I'm, I mean, I definitely enjoy the process of training because sometimes I think only climbing makes me feel crazy too. And I like the variety and just the, the movement that I get to have in training. But also what's more fun later is when you start to see those adaptations working for you and you're like, hey, look at me go. It's it's a little improvement, you know. Yep, exactly. I definitely think you know, to understand what's fun about training is to understand that a lot of good things in life come from delayed gratification. Mm. That's definitely part of the grind of training. I struggle with that. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) But I will say, um, so you kind of bring me, so that's kind of my first point here is that getting better is inherently fun. Um, Additionally, when you get better at rock climbing via training, um, and this is not to say that you have to train to get better at climbing, but usually if you're taking an approach that involves training, you will likely get to where you're going faster by nature of you're going to be more intentional because you are training, obviously. Um, But when you get better at climbing, that makes more climbs in like styles of climbing and climbs outside and climbs inside available to you. And that means that there are more rock climbs that you can look at and go, wow, that looks really cool. I want to climb it. And then you can climb it. And that's, I think, like a big one. Like you can have more fun when you go climbing by increasing your skills via training. Mm, That's a really good point. Yeah, it just, it makes it something, you know, if you go to a a crag and you look around and you're only good at crimpers, (coughs) me. uh, We're working on it. We're working on it, work in progress. But, you know, you look at climbs and you're like, oh, that might be possible rather than like, oh, well. I suck at that, so I just won't get on it because I'm not good at that. Like if you can change that to, Growth mindset. Growth mindset, A of all, we could. We could go on, but like if you can get better at a certain skill and then get to look at more climbs and go, that looks fun. I bet I'm going to have a good time. 
trying it and getting to climb that, like you get to climb more climbs. And speaking of growth mindset, <laughs> Caitlin, beautiful segue. <laughs> this brings me to my next point about why training actually allows you to have more fun when it comes to climbing. Um, so training is a lot of failing and challenging yourself and doing things that are hard for you. And a lot of athletes who don't train or it's really funny, whenever I bring up like working on your weaknesses on social media, people will always say like, I don't want to work on my weaknesses. It's not fun. Like I don't have the emotional energy to do that. But as you get better at training um, and applying yourself to things that you aren't very good at, you get a lot more comfortable with failure. And the thing that used to make you like kind of miserable, you sort of get used to it and you're like, oh, I'm just being challenged. Like this is fine. And then you sort of get used to failure more. And then voila, a lot of the times in climbing that you used to find really frustrating and upsetting are no longer that frustrating because you have a better tolerance to failure. And then you're going to have more days that are fun because you realize that failing is okay and part of the learning process. You mean I don't have to succeed all the time? No. The days I throw my shoes at the rock climb are actually <laughs> you valid. You do not do that. <laughs> not anymore. I'm a, a recovering shoe, shoe thrower. Chucker. Through shoe chucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can become less of a shoe chucker and more of a, I wonder why that didn't work. Maybe I can learn something or, from it instead. This is a challenge for me today. But I'm working on it. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, we say that in a jokey voice, but at the same time, it's like, no, that's a very healthy attitude to have towards failure. So I think all of these things wrapped up, training can really bring a lot to your climbing by expanding the things you can get on, helping your relationship with failure and getting better at stuff is really fucking fun. So true. Yeah. Very true. Party tricks. Yeah. (laughs) And I will say, like, not every training session is going to be a freaking blast. Like, it's not going to be always (laughs) type one fun. Like, obviously, hanging on your fingers until you're close to failure on some tiny ass edge is, like, not really, like, the same thing as, like, strolling through the park. Like, I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, like, if you have the right attitude about it and can understand the long game of it, training does not have to suck all the fun out of rock climbing. And also, I know all of you. Some of you, the word suffer fest has like part of the word festival in it. Like we like suffering. We like type two fun. Yeah, we like type (laughs) two fun. We Yeah, it's like part of the sport. Like if you wanted to just have a good time, like go to the pool and like tan or something. But part of you like suffering a little. So indulge that part of you. And remember that training does not have to suck all the fun out of climbing. Caitlin, wise what words. do you think? Yeah. Does wise, that need, wise words. Need busted? Is it busted? I would say busted. Busted. <laughs> we, need like a, we need like a sound effect. It's like pew, 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 pew. I don't know. We'll figure one out. That's not a good. A stamp. A stamp. Busted. busted. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Very good. We just say it in unison. Sick. What's your, what's your myth number two? All right. Number two. If you overeat or eat unhealthfully, you can just skip a meal and it'll all balance out what what gross go on not good so it's actually more important to consider what you do over time than in one snapshot so if you eat unhealthfully or you feel that also quote unhealthy put finger quotes around that big quotes big quotes that's the sound for quotes that i will be using for the remainder of the duration of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) yep quotes um if you eat unhealthfully again quotes or too much for what feels good for you you still need to eat your next planned meal so this happens a lot say you're at work and you 
have a coworker who brings in the most tasty cupcakes in the world. Barbara, her name's Barbara. Obviously. Barbara brought in Barbara freaking crushes the tastiest cupcakes. cupcakes, and you're like, well, I probably shouldn't have one. And then you know, you maybe you go take like a quarter of one, and then by the end of the day, you've enjoyed maybe two. At not even end. outrageous. Not even outrageous at all. But because of that, you feel like, oh my God, I ate so much. I ate more calories. Now I can't eat my next meal because I just replaced those calories. That is actually false. I would not recommend that approach. It's better to still eat that next planned meal because it'll help keep your blood sugar balanced. It'll still give you the nutrients you need. And ultimately, those extra calories you had in that one snapshot of time is not going to go against any goals that you might have. Side note, as an athlete, you're probably often in a calorie deficit and these calories are likely an asset to you. So just remember skipping meals in general leads to blood sugar fluctuations and imbalances, uh, altered metabolism, can contribute to stress and also mood changes as well or the proverbial hanger. So I don't recommend skipping skipping those meals. Yeah, and actually this is like very applicable because Caitlin and I just went to a really good Mediterranean restaurant and we we both ate just a lot. Chicken shawarma A lot platters. of chicken shawarma. Yeah, we certainly could have skipped the platter. The waitress really sandbagged us on how much a platter was <laughs> it was super good though oh, but yeah. like yeah we're both really full right now so like let's say right now it's like dinner time time but like let's say this was lunch like if someone was like i ate a lot would you say just like wait until you're actually hungry again and then just at your next meal eat what you feel is good but saying like i ate way too much at lunch i'm just gonna like skip any future hunger cues and just pretend i'm not hungry or whatever yeah your next planned meal shouldn't be where you punish yourself if you think oh i ate a too much b more than normal that's completely okay it's okay to eat more than you normally would during a meal you know a lot of people i work with will say oh dinner is my big meal of the day so I keep breakfast and dinner light and I'm like no 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 don't do that because it's actually better to just spread out those calories during the day but also if your lunch is bigger than normal have your next scheduled meal maybe it's a little later just to accommodate if if you're not hungry truly but it's still important to have that meal maybe it's a little bit less if you are not feeling that hungry but truthfully too slowly consider how much you might actually need and truthfully like I said it's more important in the context of your you know over time rather than in that single snapshot exactly yep I think we can say busted, busted. oh nice we did that in <laughs> unison real good love it perfect love it. all right let's hear your number two Ooh, okay this one like this one is it is it keeps me up at night but oh this one this one okay so myth number two, training is only for finger advanced athletes. Ooh, I hate this myth. I hate it so much. First of all, number one thing I hate about it is that if you go around a room of like rock climbers and you ask like what advanced means, you're going to get 40 different answers. <laughs> like right. what do you mean advanced? Like who's advanced enough to train? So 
that's like part number one where I'm like, this is just stupid to be saying. I also find, um, and Caitlin, you can jump in if you've experienced this or seen this. I find that a lot of athletes that approach me about being interested in training have some friend or just some sentiment from the community that they're not advanced enough to train yet and this this comes at all levels of climbers like people that are climbing like five nine and just started six months ago will tell me this people that are climbing 511 plus or i sorry y'all i'm just gonna talk sport climbing grades a lot will come to me and be like i think i'm not advanced enough to train yet like my friend said i'm not advanced enough so i i don't know if this is like right for me and i'm like (sighs) and it just feels like people are gatekeeping when they say this and I also think it comes from a place of like people don't actually understand what it means to train for rock climbing Mm. so Caitlin what's been your experience with that well Lauren funny you should say that because in the first six months or maybe less of me climbing I broke my ankle and I could only train and I had the same thought like so you were like only able to hangboard is that I was literally only able to hangboard and I was like uh I I don't think I like have permission from the like collective climbing community to oh train right now but instead of listening to that notion um bullshit I started hangboarding three times a week and I had a specific workout that I did and it, it was fairly solid and I think that's why my fingers are the strongest like part of me I think that's why I mean I think I think that could have contributed but I'm glad you like didn't listen and realized that you can (laughs) like do certain things um but yeah let me like describe to everyone if you're listening to this like I know someone listening is like oh my god that's so dumb like if you just started climbing two weeks ago like you don't need to train like okay okay let's back up here So all training is, is taking an intentional and organized approach to what you are doing. And for every athlete, there is going to be a level of complexity in their training that makes sense based on where they are at, how long they've trained before, their history with athletics, blah, blah, blah. So I'll kind of run through like the spectrum of athletes really quick just to give you all some examples. So let's say you are pretty new to rock climbing. Maybe you started like three months ago, six months ago. You're really just getting into it, but you want to take a more, a more organized approach to your climbing. Here's a couple of things that you can do that I would consider a pretty good way to train. First of all, your training plan, if you aren't already climbing three times a week for 60 60 minutes to two hours, your training plan could be go climbing three times a week if you aren't already doing that. That's your training plan. Hmm. If you want to make it even better, you could say, I'm going to pick two, I'm going to pick one movement drill to work on in every session. And I'm going to take, I talked about this in a couple of, a couple episodes back, but you're going to pick one movement drill and you're going to put that on terrain that you can climb. And you're going to practice a certain skill as you warm up during each session. That's a training plan right there. Uh, so maybe you're a more, maybe you're a more advanced athlete. You've been doing this for two or three years and you want to figure out how to train. You might do Um, And this could get a lot more specific, but I'm just giving you an overview. Your training might become, okay, sometimes you mostly climb ropes 
and you never boulder. So your training could be, I'm going to add a bouldering session one week, or I'm going to change one of my rope sessions to a bouldering session. So all of these things are just taking a more concerted, organized approach to what you're doing in climbing. And this is available to everyone. So training doesn't mean spending hours on the campus board. Training doesn't mean you have to hangboard. Training doesn't mean you have to lift. It is none of those things. It is the culmination of your climbing and non-climbing activities that relate to your athleticism and you are able to train at any level. It just needs to be the complexity that it makes sense for where you are at in your climbing and how long you've been climbing and all of that. So, so maybe this is an incorrect assumption, but would you say that, I'm, I'm sure it's different for everybody and within different disciplines too, but maybe as you become a, quote, uh, <laughs> advanced climber, maybe your training becomes a bit more specific Correct. to like a certain climb. Yep. Okay. So would you say that there's merit to doing that when you're maybe a younger training age mm. and training, like maybe not a specific move on a climb, but say like, Hey, it looks like maybe your lats could be beefed up a little bit. Uh, like, could that be something that's more specific in the training? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So essentially, like, and let me talk a little bit about adaptation potential here as well. So everyone has like a genetic potential for a sport, essentially. And as you get more advanced in the sport, you're going to be approaching that genetic potential. So in the first few years, you can do kind of like your training doesn't have to be that specific and you're probably going to get better. Like you're, you don't have to train perfectly. You can probably miss sessions. You can probably be doing like some other stuff and you can be doing like not the most perfect job at your training and still see gains. But as you approach that genetic potential or you have more specific goals, like a specific boulder or a specific route or whatever, the more specific and difficult for you the goals are, the more complex your training is going to need to be. So it's hard to say like exactly without having like a specific athlete as an example, but just remember that like for a lot of people, you can keep things fairly simple for a pretty long time without having to be perfect at your training and excessively complex and still get better. And I do think there is merit for like training for a specific rock climb, but the good news is if you are like younger in your years of training or just in your years of climbing in general, you can probably get away with more general, less boring training modalities, uh, generally speaking, before you really need to get into like intensely specific stuff for like a specific hard route or boulder. So hopefully that that's a really good question, Caitlin. No, th yeah, you summarized that very well. So that's good to know because I think a lot of us, I mean, when I first started climbing, I had been weightlifting primarily and I came in with this base level of strength that I was like, oh, I... This is helpful. This nice. is helpful. And <laughs> then when I started doing more of the specific movement drills or, you know, like rooting drills, that's when I noticed that like, okay, my base strength is helpful here, but also I'm really weak in these moves. So that that's interesting. I'm glad you talked about that. Yeah, no problem. Can yep, exactly. Oh yeah, this, that leads well into my, my next one as well. But yeah, why don't you give us your, your number three? All right. Well, also we, we need to back up and go, Buh, buh, buh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Busted. 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 Hard busted. <laughs> and if you come at me in the comments, <laughs> I will get you. Because I'm practiced at this. People say this shit to me all the time. I know how to handle some trolls. Plus, I know a guy. So, oh, come yeah. at me. <laughs> all right. Well, 
Let's uh, let's move on to the my third one. Moving on to number three. Okay, this one is one of my favorites to myth bust because it drives me crazy, actually. <laughs> so myth number three: weight fluctuation isn't normal. Oh my god, I have stories to go with this one mm, too. It's mm. fun. Do you want to uh, share before I dig into why this is trash? Okay, this one. This one. Okay. Something, I think, Caitlin, you're going to talk about it, but okay. Where we're going with this, if you haven't noticed, is that weight fluctuations are super, super normal, and I always find it fascinating when climbers claim that they, like, really need to lose, like, it's always two to three pounds to get to their performance weight, and I'm like, your weight can literally fluctuate, like... I mean, you probably have the exact numbers on this, but I've noticed my own weight is able to fluctuate up to like seven pounds in a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, if you're so, if you're like doing a lot of, like if you're putting a lot of t- effort towards dieting to shave off that little weight, like I would just say you probably have bigger things to focus on, especially because unfortunately your body could just decide to like retain water or whatever and do all these things. And you Maybe could you just like- just got to poop. Yeah, exactly. Like you're kind of trying to lose an amount that's going to be like in a taller, like, you know, in sort of a margin of error, if you will. And it just is kind of like, I don't know. It might just be like a lot of effort for- not a lot of gain, if you will. But yeah, Caitlin, why don't you elaborate on to like all the ways? How much? Okay, how much do you think a person's body weight can fluctuate like daily? Honestly, plus or minus ten pounds. That's yeah. pretty normal, yeah. standard across the board. So it's completely normal to go up and down in weight each day. And one of the ways that you can test this and understand what your you know normal pattern is and kind of pick up too on like okay, I worked out today or yesterday, I had a bigger meal, I had a lot of salt, I had more water. Um, If you menstruate, maybe that's something to keep in mind as well. But you can keep a kind of like a two week log and understand your, you know, your general weight fluctuations based on things that are happening in your life or just you as a functioning human being. And that's a good way to just give yourself some of that insight and connection to yourself. And actually, uh, the useful coach, if you follow him on Instagram. Yeah. Shout out Tom Herbert. Yeah, he friggin' did, rules. Oh my God. Amazing. We will find you, Tom, and get you on this podcast. <laughs> we will go we will to find the UK. <laughs> so he actually did this on himself where he tracked his weight for a few days and the ups and downs were really enlightening. And I think that that's something that's interesting that even if you do, you know, look at the scale frequently, if you start considering it as just like a number that you, you know, it's there and you move on and you're like, oh, interesting. I'm up today. I wonder why. It's not, it's likely not because you decided to have that cookie yesterday. Mm-mm, probably Actually, not. it's definitely not. Yeah. So some people, like we said, have variations in weight as much as 10 pounds plus or minus or about five kilograms and this can be caused by water retention it can be salt in the diet and how you metabolize salt as well it could also be just normal responses to certain foods that take longer to process so for example protein is pretty hard for the body to process at times Um, sometimes high fiber foods can be as well and also bowel movements as well so if you haven't pooped yet if you um Maybe you had a really filling 
you know, big meal that could be part of it too. Um, but it's totally normal and it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. Something that I always have noticed when it like, I, I don't really weigh myself anymore. Cause I'm just like, I don't know. I'm pulling hard. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but like yep. when I used to, I noticed that like the day after I trained, I would always weigh more. And I've like mm-hmm. read that maybe when your body is responding to, you know, the stress of exercise, it will like retain more water or something yeah. like that. Well, think about, I mean, you know this, Lauren, as you are training and you tear those muscle fibers, it act, your body acts like that's an injury. So yeah. it says inflam, it sends inflammatory molecules to that recovering tissue to heal it. And oftentimes that comes with more fluids to the area so that those nutrients and inflammatory molecules can actually be delivered and do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So basically net net y'all, there are a lot of reasons why your weight can fluctuate. Like it may be related to the foods you ate yesterday, but there's just so many and it's a completely normal thing your body does by being a living, breathing thing. So yeah. I would say busted. It's very satisfying to <laughs> yell busted like this. I hope everyone can understand. Really enjoy. Okay. Um, all right. I think I'll I'll tackle my my myth th- number three now. So this one sort of relates to number two, but this one's a little bit more specific. So myth number three is that strength training is a waste of time unless you're ended an advanced climber. Ugh, I hate this one too. I really don't like this one. This one, okay. So let me start out by saying this because there are going to be times in your climbing where you need to develop strength and strength can mean getting finger strength via hangboarding or other modalities. Strength can be developing pulling strength. Strength can be you need more stable shoulders and maybe we need to do some more pushing exercises. So there's going to be times in your climbing where your strength is holding you back. There's going to be times in your climbing where your technique is holding you back. But as we talked about a couple episodes back, strength is a persistent adaptation and it's something we want to be pursuing at all times um, or not at all times, but pursuing consistently over time. So this is not to say that you need to be spending tons of time lifting and like doing non-climbing training activities, but it is to say that strength training is going to support you as an athlete, probably at no matter, actually not probably, definitely no matter what level you're at. And granted, if you're, you're coming into climbing, you're totally new, like, and you have a really strong background in weightlifting, yes, it might take a little while for your technique to catch up with your strength before strength is really what's holding you back. But there's a lot of benefits to strength training that aren't directly related to performance that I just think are generally really important. Caitlin, before I continue stomping on my soapbox, do you have anything to add? <laughs> I I actually have a question. Maybe it, it'll come yeah. out more as a thought. Yeah. <laughs> but no, bear with me. me. So do you think that strength has a greater benefit to say a certain gender or age uh thoughts that's a really good question and this i i sort of get where you're coming from um actually i completely get where you're coming from so for for women um i just this is this is date hearkening back to like gym class and i'm sure if i like pulled up studies maybe we'd find this but i think you know generally speaking like Women don't come typically as prepackaged with the ability to just like to do a pull up as other people do. Like I remember being so frustrated just like starting climbing and being like, 
I exercise all the time. I do all this stuff. And my friend Joe Schmo, who hasn't walked in a weight room in 10 years, can just rip out five pull-ups, even though, like, he has hardly any exercise background at all. And, like, I can't. Right? And that's obviously, like, completely anecdotal. So take that with a grain of salt. But it does seem like sometimes this advice of uh, strength training is a waste of time. You don't need to be doing this comes from like maybe someone that came into climbing already having a background of strength or not considering the fact that like I coach, like I coach both men and women, plenty of people. And I do notice that like more often than not, um, men will be able to come into working with me, being able to like just have generally more pulling strength than women will. This is a complete generalization, by the way. Like, these are just trends that I'm noticing as a coach. Like, I'd really want to cite a research study if you wanted to start making any self-determining prophecies out of this. But I will say, like, I think strength training will benefit young people, old people, women, men, the same. But I also think that more women starting, like, earlier on in their climbing careers, if you can't already, like, do a pull-up and this is kind of a very arbitrary benchmark but if you know you have like pulling power issues and that strength just feels like it's holding you back and it's frustrating like yeah putting a little bit of time each week like a little bit maybe 30 minutes to 60 minutes into some strength work will be massively helpful and probably even less than that um but yeah to answer your question honestly i i probably won't comment on your question about age just because it really depends on like the athlete and like their training history when they're older but like i will say um there's a lot of health benefits that come with strength training you can look up strength training and longevity studies like there's just a lot of other benefits to strength training to you as an athlete and as a person that wants to rock climb for a long time that strength training can bring so yeah and also too i i mean this is another more comment but bulkiness from strength training oh my god is just tangential myth yeah yeah we don't have to cover that today but um i yeah i kind of look forward to the bulk when i beef up during training season yeah thoughts on that (laughs) uh yeah well first of all oh i could like oh that's a whole do a literal whole podcast myth busting (laughs) that and maybe we should i got into like a freaking rabbit hole looking into this but uh okay i will say this about if you are afraid of getting bulky from strength training i think caitlin can like jump in on this as well on the nutrition side of things but like first of all you have to eat like a lot like it's kind of difficult everyone's genetics are going to be completely different in terms of like how much muscle you put on and you can get really strong without putting on muscle if you lift uh with this in mind so generally speaking set and rep schemes that are lower intensity and uh higher reps are going to result in hypertrophy more so than set rep schemes that are going to be lower intensity and or higher intensity and lower repetition so if you're Mm. doing like three to five sets of three to five reps at a really heavy weight for something you will be less likely to put on muscle than if you're doing like three sets of 15. I always hear people be like, if you lift heavy, you'll get huge muscles. And it's like, actually, you're putting like less metabolic stress on your system or you're doing from doing less repetitions overall. So you're generally and like this is a whole a literal whole can of worms. So like, Mm -hmm. don't we're not going to get too far into this, but you can get a lot stronger without really putting on like a ton of weight. Like there's reasons there are high school girls running track. And I think, oh man, I wish I had her number, but Allison Felix, like the Olympic track star, her deadlift when she was like 
you know, 120 pounds in high school was like something insane, like almost like 400 pounds or something. Jesus. Like, you're like, yeah, <laughs> like you t- and she was like, you know, I mean, she's very strong looking, but she doesn't look like she should be able to pick up like 300 something pounds off the floor. I should look this up. But it was, I remember reading it and being like, what? <laughs> That's so much. That's so you amazing. can get really strong without like putting on a ton of bulk if that's a concern and strength training is just going to be really like a great way to build your resilience it's going to help make your upper body more stable when you're doing like weird stuff with your shoulders and climbing which you will absolutely do like there's just so many benefits to strength training and to say that you have to be advanced to need to strength training really dismisses the fact that everyone's coming into climbing with a different background and how strong they are so that's my soapbox on that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pick up heavy shit and you don't have to spend all your time doing it either. I think that's the other concern. Like if you have time, like I really like Steve Bechtel's rule of 75-25 where 75% of your training and climbing activities should be climbing specific. You should be rock climbing with your shoes on and 25% of your time can be spent doing other stuff. That's just a guideline, but I really like it and I think it puts the proper emphasis on going rock climbing with a little bit of a strength, supportive strength work on top. So... Very good. Well, should we take a break? I think we should. After we say busted. Nice. Break time. Break time. Okay, Caitlin. I think that a lot of people spend a lot of time believing myths that are stupid and not really fun. So today I thought we could use use this break to advertise some myths and conspiracies that are more fun and useful. <laughs> useful to believe in. So Caitlin, is there a particular conspiracy that you would like to advertise to our listeners? I would say my conspiracy is the least useful piece of information you'll As get this year. Uh, so have you ever heard about the conspiracy theory with Avril Lavigne actually having died and somebody replaced her? No, I'm excited. Tell me more. So there's a theory that the Avril Lavigne that lives and breathes now is not the OG one because a lot of things in her music, in her voice, her songs, her lyrics, her entire <laughs> life are not what we know and love from the OG Avril. Also, she's married to the Nickelback lead singer, which I'm not saying is that weird, but also... Also, it's Nickelback. It's Nickelback. So anyway, food for thought. That's mine. Whoa. She said she she said he's a skater boy. I don't she know. She said, say, see you she later, boy. Said, she said, gotta go. Gonna get replaced by someone else. Good song. <laughs> What's Interesting. Yours, <laughs> All right. Here's mine. Um, and I want to credit my good friend Danny for giving me this book for my birthday. And it's called It Never Happened, the Air Force UFO cover-up. Oh, But wow. it is, well, the first chapter is good. And then the rest of the, it's a lot of pages. Very poorly written. But it goes into a very long and detailed account of all of the ways that the Air Force has completely covered up UFOs. Um, I don't think I have time to tell the story but it's very interesting and i truly sincerely believe that the air force is hiding stuff from us very interesting lauren yeah i'm gonna go buy this horribly written book and yep. this will be my my fun reading before bed it's not fun it's very bad and my Oof. theory and this is another conspiracy in the conspiracy is that the reason that all ufo books are 
poorly written is because no editor wants to touch that. So these poor authors have to just kind of wing it and no one will help because no one wants their name associated with UFOs, which reminds me that I'm doing that to my own name right now. So sounds like a deeper political dilemma here. <laughs> so we could talk about that. Very forever. good. Well, I think that's enough of me sullying my integrity <laughs> as a coach. And uh, let's get back to myth busting, shall we? Let's shout. Okay, getting back to nutrition, myth bust four. Excellent. Bust it up, bud. I am actually, (laughs) I'm chewing on a dark chocolate covered espresso bean right now. Busting that too, apparently. Busting that. But it brings me to my next point. Myth number four, all sugar is bad. What the fuck? Rude. Literally dumb. Go on. So the real deal is that sugar can be part of a perfectly fine and normal dandy diet. Absolutely fine. And natural sugar is just not inherently bad. Um, But typically they can become problematic when they're consumed in excess. Again, this is very subjective. And also when they are in place of maybe more nourishing foods. So if your diet consists of only donuts all day, of course, I think we could all agree that that is not a balanced diet. However, if you have lots of donuts mixed in with other fruits and vegetables, good sources of protein, either from plant or animal-based sources, whole grains, that's a good balanced diet. And this sugar balances out. And as athletes especially, we really do need need carbs in the form of sugar because this provides us with quick energy sources. It's easily digestible um, and we can use it in as an energy very quickly. Thoughts on this? Okay. First, I have a question. What is the difference between like a natural sugar and an unnatural sugar? So an unnatural sugar is something that is processed and created in a lab. So I know we've talked about processed as a word before, but it's essentially created in a lab. So let me give you an example. Um, Something like high fructose corn syrup. Okay. You can't pick something off the high fructose corn syrup bush. Nope. 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 Doesn't grow on trees, grows in a lab. And um, I would argue that high fructose corn syrup is maybe the most problematic for a lot of people, especially because high fructose content in foods can cause GI problems, can cause joint inflammation. It can also increase um, central adiposity. That's just midsection uh, fat as well. And um, you might think too, so fructose is actually in a lot of fruits and vegetables as well. And that is fine, but the high fructose corn syrup is an issue because the fructose content is increased a lot in the lab compared to the normal balance. Can you explain why like fructose is hard? And uh, I'll say this too. So when I was working through some of my stomach issues that I've had where I've, it's been a whole situation. I won't give you all the details, but essentially there was a time where Caitlin recommended that I try to cut down my fructose intake from all fruits and vegetables, not just high fructose corn syrup. Um, So can you explain a little bit about like why that is so people understand? Yeah. So think about glucose compared to fructose here. That's the example I'll give. And the way that these two 
sources of carbs are digested is they go through different transporters to actually be digested. So uh, glucose pretty quickly is sent into the blood once it's uh, metabolized, but fructose has to actually go through a longer process for this to happen. And there aren't as many of these receptors to actually accept fructose molecules into the body. So sometimes they can actually build up, cause some stomach upset, um, Maybe you've noticed too, like you have um, those bloating stomach pains um, from drinking sports drinks. Maybe this is especially true if you have a fructose-rich snack before your workouts. You kind of get this fructose gut, if you will. But this essentially is because fructose can have an osmotic effect and bring more water into the digestive system. But also it's just much, much, much slower to be sent out into the body. It's less uh, efficient than glucose, if you will. Got it. Okay. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I also hope everyone can understand that like not all sugars are evil. And no, that sugar not at all. is a naturally occurring thing. And just because something's like, like we need sugar to do stuff. Yeah. Sugar is not inherently bad. And I really hate the phrase everything in moderation. But in this case, moderation, it depends on the person, but also sugar is an asset to us as athletes not the opposite and it should not be avoided so keto and athletes bad news not good yeah we can that's a whole a whole other Other. thing whole other thing but yeah okay i think we can safely call that one busted nice okay (laughs) myth myth number four for me is that you can't climb outside or do any climbing for fun if you're on a training plan (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin's just like that's dumb that's just like what then it really is not fun to train because then you can't climb that's crazy what a dumb myth I know like y'all I just I don't even feel like I need to explain this one too much but like I said the more the greater your training age is and the more complex your training needs to be then the more you know specific and maybe nitpicky you're going to have to be with the amount of volume that you're spending in terms of outdoor climb climb time or you're like climbing for fun time while you're on a training plan. But for a very vast majority of athletes, and I've coached athletes anywhere from like being a 5'8 climber up to 5'14 climbers, and they all have had time to climb for fun and climb outside. It's That's dumb. Like there's a difference and of course like there's better ways to go about it than others and there's a difference between quote being on a training plan and then always skipping your training to climb outside versus actually doing your training and doing an amount of outdoor climbing that you know is gonna allow you to still get something out of your training. Um, But that being said it is totally stupid to think that you cannot climb outside or have some climb for fun days in your climbing if you're on a training plan. Caitlin can we call that one? busted very good very good all right that brings us to fifth and final nutrition yes oh this one lauren i know you're i can already feel and hear almost your eye roll and i haven't even said it yet so you ready for this one i'm ready fat is bad for you oh my god (laughs) go on outrage outrage so the truth is that fat is super important for your health go figure and for making popcorn delicious (laughs) just overall joy in life basically but truthfully we really do need fat for a lot of things we need it for 
cell structure and protection. You know, just that little just important that. thing. Uh, we don't want our guts or our cell guts to be spelling out. Not that that actually Gross. happens, but anyway. We also need it for energy storage. So think about times when, uh, not that this is necessarily our situation, but fat is a, a very plentiful calorie dense nutrient source and it's helpful when we do not have energy coming in it becomes a really important insulator um, for our body heat for our producer to help body heat production it also is really important to protect our organs as well it's important for energy production vitamin absorption specifically the fat soluble vitamins vitamin a d e and k it's also important for hormone synthesis as well. And when you consume a diet low in fats, you might experience some skin issues. You might have memory problems, lots of weakness, hormone imbalances, fatigue, and also poor immunity. Yeah, so stop saying that fat's bad for you if you don't have any fat in your diet. That would be bad for you. And as Caitlin said your cell guts would have problems. <laughs> There's a reason Caitlin's here. Don't let me touch this. <laughs> the one thing I'll, I'll make note of before we uh, bust this one, definitely making sure the diet is full of a variety of fats. So this also includes saturated fats. I know they get a lot of heat in the, the public eye, but saturated fats are important. We also want what's called MUFAs and PUFAs or monounsaturated <laughs> fatty acids and polyunsaturated fatty acids. But the most important thing to remember is it's helpful to know how to cook with these fats. So the only thing I'll say to this point is it's important to avoid cooking with poofas at high heat because they will actually um that's that's when they are broken down in a not healthful way so we can always talk about that at another point but i think we could leave it there but any other quick thoughts lauren i'm gonna be honest i've checked out for the last 30 seconds because i am an idiot and i can't <laughs> handle the words <laughs> Mufa <and> poofas. <laughs> Poofa, poofa. <laughs> oh my god it's so funny and then i was thinking about you talking about how you shouldn't you shouldn't cook poofas on too high of a heat and then i was like this poofa's on fire <laughs> oh my god and then i was like oh my god i'm glad caitlin's here but yeah i think we can definitely definitely call that one busted excellent in song in song wow. <laughs> all right lauren what's your last one my last one is myth number five and that is that training only gets you injured <sighs> I know. Oh boy. Okay. So the thing is, yes, has have people been injured while they were in a training cycle? Of course. Have I been injured while I'm in a training cycle? Yeah. Like it happens. But it's not only because of training that you might get injured. And ideally, whatever training you're doing is going to be appropriately dosed for whatever level you're at. And I also find that rock climbers are pretty stoked and we can sometimes have a really hard time like walking away from the gym. And in a lot of ways, if you're on a training plan where it's like, this is my session and coach said for me to cut it off after 90 minutes or something, you're going to be more likely to end your session once you've done what you needed to do like the ideal with training um is to do the minimum effective dose right so we want to do as little as possible to get the desired results and no more than that 
And a lot of times athletes, when they're not on a training plan, if they have a lot of time on their hands and like, y'all, I have done this before. So I'm speaking from experience. We will go super hard. Our training and climbing volume will be excessive. And that is when we will get injured. So there's a lot of factors that go into injury, your sleep, your nutrition, how stressed you are, all these things. So blaming an injury completely on training doesn't necessarily make sense. And a lot of times if you're on a training plan and it's dosed appropriately for your level and what you need to be doing and you're actually following it, you'll you'll actually be working on injury proofing yourself by probably participating in some strength promoting activities, which is cool, but also you're going to be doing an amount of training volume that makes sense and actually won't get you injured. So, and I have one thing to add here if you're suspecting or even if you're not aware of what overtraining looks like if you were not dosed appropriately because I've had many athletes come to me with the classic signs and symptoms of overtraining and how about I rattle yeah yeah a couple symptoms of overtraining all right excess soreness lots of fatigue brain fog altered digestion, mood changes, performance loss, elevated heart rate, frequent colds, loss of appetite, more injuries and tweaks, and sleep disruptions. Yeah, that sucks. And also, just a note, everyone, like, if you are newer to training, like, to some degree, there is going to be a trial and error period where you might find out, like, that was too much or whatever it is. So, like, you know, you can't just always know exactly what's too much and what's too little but there are techniques to figure that out and that's kind of in a bucket of what's called auto regulation which is a fancy word for doing what you can with the energy you have that day Um, that's whole there's techniques for that again whole other thing but you know things to keep in mind that if you feel like as Caitlin mentioned you are feeling overtrained that could be putting you at risk for injury. So if you do have appropriately dosed training, training does not necessarily get you injured or cause all injuries. Injuries are complex and we shouldn't just blanket statement blame what you're in your training for your injury always. In some cases, sure, but not in every case if you're doing it well. So I think we can call that one busted. Excellent. Well, I think I think that'll uh that'll uh, do for this evening. Should we kind of both run down our our list real quick just to sum up all these myths that we have taken to the ground? Sure thing. All right, rattle them off now. All right. So for me, we talked about uh making sure you work out when is most consistently, but also to tag onto that one. Um, make sure that you also have a snack, a little bedtime snack after if you train late training session. Yes. (laughs) Also, um, make sure you do not skip your meals. It's more important to consider what you do over time. More than one snapshot. Weight fluctuation is very normal. Sugar is not bad and can be an asset to athletes. And fat is actually a vital nutrient sweet and then my myths that i busted today were that training sucks all the fun out of climbing we busted the myth that training is only for advanced athletes similarly we discussed that strength training is not a waste of time if you are not a quote advanced athlete myth number four was that you can't climb outside or for fun if you're on a training plan and myth number five was that training gets you injured so We effectively busted a lot of garbage here today, and I'm really excited about that. Thanks for busting on these myths. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, they were definitely way better at this on Mythbusters. (laughs) Yeah, we're not the experts on on what they do. Yeah, so go find yourself a better conspiracy or myth to enjoy than any of these dumb things that we just talked about. Mythbusters.
Warren here. Caitlin and I hope you enjoyed busting myths with us today. Now I'll close us out with some announcements and our production credits. Feeling ready to start a training plan? I've got programs for that. Whether you're a sport climber, boulderer, or you're looking for strength and hangboard training, self-guided programs are available now in the Good Spray online store. Tap the link in your show notes to learn more about your program options. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Good Spray Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram over at Dirtbag Nutritionist. This show is produced by Josh Hafley with our production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. Stubby is credited with making sounds that Josh later gets to edit out. We also like to think he is good for morale. The music for this episode was created by Devin Dabney of the American Climbing Project. Make sure to check out his podcast if you haven't already. You'll laugh, you'll learn, and you will introspect. The Average Climber Podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Network. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com or at PlugToneAudio on Instagram to learn more about the other great shows on the network. See you next time, and until then, keep it average.